It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing, and I am your show host, Randy Fine. If you are not pursuing a rewarding career, not in loving relationships, not financially secure, healthy, or vital, or you aren't fulfilling your purpose and passion, or you don't even know your purpose or passion, what it is, then you're stopping yourself without even knowing it. Today's special guest, psychic therapist and medium, Vincent Jenna, explains the mechanisms and processes at work. Your brain has unconsciously created blocks that sabotage your efforts to create a meaningful life. The bottom line is, you don't believe what you think you believe. Vincent offers his spiritual, metaphysical, and psychological insights in his first book, The Secret That's Holding You Back, that will be released on June 21st, 2022. Vincent has spoken at notable organizations such as the Edgar Cayce's Association for Research Enlightenment, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, the SHIFT Network, Afterlife Research and Education, Inc., and the International Association of Near-Death Studies. He has made numerous media appearances, is a regular guest on CBS My Carolina, and a beloved speaker at various unity centers, centers for spiritual living, spiritualist churches, and spiritual centers throughout the country. And he is also... be heard hosting his own weekly radio show called Stop Stopping Yourself on Unity Online Radio. And um, let me bring this, my guest to you. Vincent, is this you? It is absolutely me. Is this Randy? <laughs> yes, it is. You know, I get... Um, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Good. Welcome. I'm so glad you're with us today. Um, so, oh, well, thank yeah. you for inviting me. That's fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Well, you were back. You were with us a couple of years ago, and we just had a great show. So it's really great to have you back. Okay. So you have written this book, The Secret That's Holding You Back, not to, yes. to, to be differentiated from The Secret. <laughs> um, is, why did you write this book, Vincent? Oh, Randy, what a great question. I wrote this book because it is so needed in the world, period, whether it be today or um, issues that we have yesterday. See, we have all this understanding, this ancient wisdom that we're capable of creating a life that we really want, fulfilling our dreams, um, uh, having rewarding careers, having abundance and love and in financial stability and well-being, all of that we are promised. And yet, no matter how many times we keep trying to apply the principles, apply the practices that everybody's talking about, there are a majority of people in the world that end up saying, it's not working. Why isn't it working? My original title of the book is God, It's Not Working. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah. But then in, in talking and, and reviewing the whole book, I, I fell in love with the, the secret that's holding you back. So the book actually explains it. It actually is 40 years worth of my work in the metaphysical, psychology, and spirituality fields. And I put so much effort into making people and helping people understand why it's not working. They think they know what they want. They think they know what they believe, but in fact, most people don't believe what they think they believe. And that's the reason why I wrote the book is to get everything working so that when they try something, when they put a principle, I want it to work for them. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why I wrote it. 
It's so true. It is so true that, you know, and, and it frustrates me because we hear a lot about manifesting and we hear a lot about the secret, but it is not, there is a, there's an element of this formula that has been missing. And I'm so glad that you wrote about this um, because it can be so frustrating for people to not, you know, they're like, well, I've tried to manifest and it doesn't work. Well, you're going to tell us today, perhaps why that happens. So you say um, when you've received your first negative messages from your parents, siblings, other family members, teachers, or your environment, environment, what happens next is due to protective mechanisms in your brain. And from what you've seen and experienced, you believe our negative stories fracture our three-sectioned mind and the brain creates a fourth section. So what are the three sections that we know about or have heard about? Well, what we have heard, it, it actually started with a two-section image, the iceberg. If everybody can picture an iceberg right now, that's actually what psychologists and psychiatrists and the advent of the field began showing to, to explain, to give an image, an illustration of how the mind is. So, so the part that's above the water in an iceberg is your conscious mind. That's the part that you're aware of what's going on. Beneath the surface of the water, of the iceberg, there's a larger part of the mind, okay? Well, as Freud, Sigmund Freud is the one who really pioneered a lot of the work and became famous for his work with the human mind, and he's the one who first divided it into actually three sections. So there's the conscious part, which actually only represents 2 to 5% of the entire mind, and then the subconscious part and the unconscious part. That represents 95 to 98% of the entire mind. So, so people in general, what that means is that even though people think they know what's going on in their own mind, the majority of it, they have no idea what's going on. They only know what's going on in the conscious part. So the subconscious part, as we understand it, is the automatic part. That's the part that not only takes over the automatic bodily functions, your heart beating, your respiratory system, um, your nervous system, your hormone system, and all of that. That is all controlled, yes, by the brain, but the automatic part of your mind that causes those functions to occur. Well, it doesn't always just work with the physical body, it works with the emotional and the thinking part of your mind as well. So you will have automatic thoughts, automatic feelings. For example, when you were first taught how to drive a car, for example, all right, or, or go and take a shower, you no longer think of absolutely every single step in that process. Otherwise, you would never get anything done. Could you imagine if we had to think about every move we had to make. Wait a minute, now I've got to, I've got to now take out the toothbrush. Let me take my right arm because I'm right-handed and reach for the toothbrush. That's what I'm comfortable with. Now I need the toothpaste on. You know what I mean? That would be the thinking oh, yeah. process, what it would look like, right? Mm-hmm. But it's automatic now. It's automatic. It's automatic that the way we drive our car, it's even automatic where we're driving, coming home from work, going to the store. We don't even think about it sometimes, right? Because that's the right. subconscious part of the brain. Well, the subconscious part of the brain also does some of our thinking for us. Whatever we train it to think and whatever we train it in how to respond emotionally, it can happen so automatically that we don't know that thoughts go by before we wind up having feelings, which we have to. Then there's the unconscious part. And, And Freud believed that the unconscious part is where we harbor our understanding of truths, the rights, the wrongs. Why do we know automatically the difference between right and wrong? They, they've uh, researched that over and over again. And yes, every single human has a connection to that. So he called it the unconscious mind where all of that information resided. Um, his student, Carl Jung, became famous on his own because he took that understanding and went even further with it. He believed that and research that the reason why we even have all that information into the in the unconscious mind is that we're collect we're connected to a collective unconscious mind 
uh, or what he also said is the mind of God, where all information resides and that we tap into. So he created archetypes from that understanding. The way he did that is he would ask um, somebody who normally lives in Japan, what does the word mother mean to you? And then ask a person who lived in the Americas or another part of Europe, what does the word mother mean to you? And both parties would come out with almost the exact same answer without having discussed it amongst themselves. So his theory was then, well, in order for people to be able to do that, you have to be connected to a place that has the same information for everybody, the collective unconscious mind. Okay. Well, that actually spiritually is where your soul's mind resides, which is what connects you to that body of information. That's where your soul is. So that's the three levels of the mind that was originally developed for people to understand the workings of the human mind. That's how that happened, Randy. Okay. And so now you're saying that um, you believe our negative stories fracture our three-section mind and the brain creates a fourth section, which you call the EMM or the environmental-made mind. Okay. And explain what that is. Okay. What is that? So it's like trying to mix oil and vinegar together. They just don't mix, right? So in your unconscious mind where your soul resides, your soul knows the truths of life and who you are. And it's all good. They're God traits, basically. The knowing of uh, compassion and love and and kindness and um, tolerance and patience and caring and all of those positive traits reside in there and positive beliefs about the self. When we come into the world and incarnate in the world, that soul's mind is what originally guides us. It's why a two-year-old toddler who is first learning how to walk and is eating an ice cream cone goes up to the stranger while it's melting and offers some of the ice cream cone to the stranger because he's being kind. There's that part of him that wants to reach out and do that until we teach the child fear and not doing things like that. But it wants to do it because it's an automatic response based on all the goodness that resides in your superconscious mind. That's what Carl Jung nicknamed the unconscious mind, the superconscious mind. So now you're in life and you start receiving these negative messages. Well, you can't mix the negative messages in the positive portion of the mind because it just don't, doesn't mix. Just like I said, oil and vinegar. So the brain in its highest functions in order to help us survive and live and protect us, it will separate and create a, a fraction now of that unconscious mind. And I call it the environment-made mind because as a child, you're absorbing everything. You're just pulling everything in like a sponge, right? You're just, you're just getting those messages and however the brain wants to interpret them, which is usually very negative, Um, the first maladaptive beliefs start being created and are held there in the environment-made mind. And I call those beliefs the I'm not. From so many negative messages, we may, we're egocentric when we come in. We think everything is about us and revolves around us. So the messages we wind up getting when our parents are constantly correcting us and saying, well, you didn't get an A in school, um, uh, that's no good, you've got to keep working. So you start developing the idea of I'm not good enough, right? Or no, you're not getting an allowance today because your room was messy and I told you you've got to clean up your room and then you get your allowance. So now you're forming I'm not deserving. And then the I'm not smart enough, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not lovable enough, I'm not, you know, whatever enough, pretty enough, handsome enough. All of those I'm not start being harbored in that part of the mind, which is now on top of and suppressing the soul's mind, the superconscious mind that is telling us or trying to tell us that we're magnificent, we're divine, we're lovable, all of those good things. But you've got another section of the mind that's hiding all of that. And that's the closer section now to the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. So that's what you begin to believe about yourself. And then you're training your subconscious mind to respond off of those beliefs. Now, what's really important about that, Randy, to understand is 
Yeah, in psychology, we can understand whether they've said that there is that mind or not. That part doesn't matter as much. I labeled it that way for people to really understand better. But they don't consider the fact that we're spiritual beings having a physical experience. What does that matter? Well, what matters is that we're connected to a power, a source, the law of attraction, whatever you want to call it, law of manifesting. So you take those maladaptive beliefs in the environment made mind now, plug it into the wall, and that's what begins to manifest your life, is you start creating things based on those unconscious core beliefs. Not the conscious ones, because that's not where you're connected, but the unconscious ones. And you start creating things, and as a child, you don't create as much, but as you're developing there's where a problem begins, and that's where the next section of the mind is developed. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a pre-introduce pre, um, your next question, because <laughs> I know where you're going. I'm psychic. <laughs> okay. Is that, so you already pre-introduced it? <laughs> I'm pre-introducing it, but you're going to ask me the question now. Now you right? I know what you're going to ask. Um. So well, what I'm going to ask? What I'm right? How? <laughs> so how do we unblock that so that we allow that superconscious well, mind we unblock, to flow through? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what the well, you you've got it. You've been doing. Um, unbelievable research on me. I so appreciate that. That's amazing. Um, well, the brain winds up creating that next section of the mind, right? Um, right. And it's the adult-made mind because we're okay. adults now, and the mind develops. And, um, and people have to understand, Randy, what, what's the two highest functions of the human brain to start with, all right? The highest function is obviously keeping us alive. And then the second highest function is to protect us. That's how it keeps us alive, right? And then it goes down from there. Well, you and I know and everybody knows how the brain protects us physically. For example, um, when the coronavirus was so prevalent, and even now, right, one of the symptoms of having the coronavirus is what? A fever, a fever. Um, But it's not the coronavirus that's causing the fever. It's actually the brain. Because the brain wants to raise your body temperature in order to make it an unlivable environment for the, the coronavirus, right? So that's how it kills off the virus or any type of bug inside. So a fever comes from trying to protect us. Um, another way that uh, the, the brain protects us physically is when you lack oxygen, um, I don't know if this ever happened to you. I have never in my life passed out until one time, and it was because I was dehydrated, and it's the weirdest feeling. Did you ever pass mm-hmm. out, Randy? One time in oh my life. My... All of a sudden, I whited out in front of my eyes, and the next thing I know, I'm somebody's trying to wake me up. Right. Yeah, right. weird. That's, yeah, and you can't control it. You can't stop it. It's like, no. oh, it's a horrible, un, you know, out-of-control mm-hmm. feeling. And so that happened to me one time, but the brain does that purposely because it's not getting, your body is some, for some reason, is not getting the proper amount of oxygen. So what the brain does is it puts you in a position, laying down, because usually when you pass out, what do you do? You fall down to the ground. You're laying down flat, and when you lay down flat, you breathe better. And the rest of your body, it can circulate and get the oxygen to the other parts of the body. Now, one of the, the interesting things about these protective mechanisms is the brain does not pay attention to the side effects of what it's trying to do to protect you. So when it raises your temperature, it is not paying attention to the fact that the temperature itself is very uncomfortable. And sometimes if the temperature goes too high, you can die. Well, it's not paying attention to that. It's paying attention and focused on getting rid of that bacteria. It's also not paying attention to the fact that you may have just climbed Mount Everest and you're standing on the cliff 
and you'll run out of oxygen, and so your brain makes you pass out, and it doesn't pay attention to the fact that you're standing on the cliff, and you now fall off and boom, <laughs> down all the way to the bottom of the mountain, and you're gone. It's just wanting to get you oxygen. It's not paying attention to the side effects. Well, the brain protects us physically. What does it do to protect us emotionally when we have emotional pain? It's really interesting. In part of writing this book, while I was going to school to get my degrees in psychology, because I'm also, I was a licensed therapist. I was a psychotherapist. Um, I did that intentionally so I could understand the human mind even more so. One of the studies that I did was on Alzheimer's patients. And it turned out that my mother had Alzheimer's too. And I came up with the theory, and I didn't totally pursue it or write an, a journal article about it because I would have loved to have done that. But the majority of people that I researched that had Alzheimer's also had miserable past lives. The childhoods, really? I mean, in this lifetime. Okay. Yes. Okay. And what happens now, isn't this interesting? Um, 99% of all Alzheimer's starts when you're older. Okay. What do we do as we get older and we are approaching our mortality and you know, the end of life, what do we start doing more than anything else? We start reminiscing, right? We start reviewing our lives, don't we? Right? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how painful would it be to constantly keep looking back in your life and seeing all the things you didn't do or seeing all the things that you did wrong, seeing the torments you went through, seeing the abuses you went through? Wouldn't that cause unbelievable emotional pain? Yes, it would. Right? Yeah, that's right. So in order for the brain to protect us, what would it have to do then? Block it. It would have to turn off. That's right. It turns off the memory. Isn't it amazing that there is a human disease that just strictly turns off memories? It doesn't turn off vision. It doesn't turn off hearing. It doesn't turn off taste. It turns off Memories. Memories. Now, to me, to be so specific of a disorder, yes, of course, then you see white spots on the brain where it's dead, but that's because it turned off and it would have to do that in order to turn off those memories. Just the same as brains grow new pathways and new blood vessels in the brain in order to make up for a damage from someplace, an accident or something, why can't it turn off? If it turns on positive pathways, why can't it turn off negative pathways? And so now let's talk about how that relates to my book. Oh, excuse me, got something caught in my throat a second? Okay. Okay, how does that relate to my book and the next section? the fifth section that the brain creates, which I call the adult-made mind, in order to protect us from all the hurts that are being harbored in your environment-made mind, those I'm not, because those are very painful to go through life with, it will create a whole new section and a whole new set of beliefs and behaviors to shield you and protect you from the original one. So now you're walking around and instead of believing I'm not good enough, you may have formed the belief and the defense mechanism of projection, projecting it out onto somebody else and saying, oh, oh, the reason why things are going bad in my life is because they're bad. They're doing bad things. My, my parents are terrible. My neighbor is terrible. Um, my, my boss at work, now that I have a job, that's the reason why I'm not getting a job, is the guy I did the interview for. He's stupid. Um, I'm not getting a promotion. My love life isn't working out because my partner is horrible. Um, I, I picked the wrong partner. That's terrible. He's, he or she is are bad people, and I didn't know that. So we create all of these beliefs, and then some habits we create, we start even using substances to self-medicate so that we can block off those painful feelings deep down. Um, Our angers, our rages, what you are seeing, let's just take the United States today because we've been a prime example of outrage and, and, 
negativity here, right, with all the news that's been going on and we see people shooting, killing, racism, all of that stuff, hatred. Think of those defense as defense mechanisms that everybody is protecting. Can you imagine how much they must hate themselves that their defense mechanism now is to project it out onto somebody else. It's, it's, it's them. It's the blacks. It's the gays. It's women. It's the, it's the government. It's the economy. It's, um, it's the Democrats. It's the Republican. It doesn't matter. It's the Muslims. It's, the te- it's, it's constantly being projected out then right. because of how much hurt is underneath the surface, which is okay. the other reason why my book is so important. And, but we don't know. And again, the reason why it's so important to understand this is even your adult-made mind is not manifesting for you. That's not the part that's connected to the law of attraction. It's your unconscious mind and it's your environment-made mind that's connected. So every time you want to create something in your life that's positive, you want a relationship, you want a good job, and you're saying, oh, I deserve a good partner, I'm a loving person, I would love a family, oh, I deserve this job, I'm good enough at it, and you don't get it, it's because, or you attract the wrong person in your life, it's because that maladaptive voice inside there is saying, yeah, you're not good enough. You're not lovable enough. And that's what's influencing the law of attraction more than your conscious mind thinking that you do deserve it. And so you wind up creating and manifesting what you don't want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's actually, that's scientifically and psychologically and what's actually happening and people don't understand that. So, but you see, you see, you see people. You do the show all the time. You must, you must see a lot of people who are complaining about what they can't create, and then they blame the information rather than what the process is that they're going through. Right? Well, the work that I do professionally is with people who have suffered abuse um, from a narcissist or a personality disordered individual. Uh, <laughs> so the people that I see are very much blocked. Um, and they, right. it, and what's really strange is that, um, well, not strange, but interesting is that um, the person who has been the abuser is someone who has outwardly blamed everything in their own life on this person that I'm now seeing. So they have absorbed and in, um, you know, it, it, it's become right. a part of them of all the blame that's been put on them. So, yes. I see this all the time. <laughs> you see that all the time. And you understand narcissism. Um, I, I explain it to people even because most people believe that narcissists really do believe that they're great. But that is also, that's their greatest defense mechanism. And in order to, a true narcissist, I've worked with them so many times when, when I was uh, doing my psychotherapy work and I'm related to a couple Right, A true narcissist has such a low self-feeling and went through such hell themselves when they were growing up that they actually feel they're the lowest of low. And in order to compensate for that feeling, the adult-made mind winds up creating um, a delusional belief of how great they are going in the opposite yes. direction in order to counter that low feeling. But what's really interesting, and you can confirm this with me because you've worked with um, so many, I'm sure, that a true narcissist, and this is the reason why you even have your own business, if you listen to a narcissist completely, they don't spend most of their time praising themselves, spend most of their time putting down others. Mm-hmm. So think about this as an analogy. Let's say you've got, it's nighttime, and you've got a lamp in your room and the light is on with that lamp. And there's two ways, or, or that there's, the lights are on, and you've got a lamp there that's also on. And there's two ways that you can make that lamp brighter. One, you can replace the low-wattage light bulb and put in a higher-wattage light bulb, right? That would be a common-sense way. 
But that's, what's the other way of making that light appear brighter? Taking turn the off, off all the other lights. Oh, you take off. Well, no, okay. you, turn, you turn off all the other lights. Okay. When you dim all the other lights, your light looks brighter. The okay. lamp will look brighter. That's what a narcissist does. In order to make himself look smarter and better, he makes everybody else look yep. less than. Look less than. And That's man, very oh, true. Man, right? Exactly. And man, oh man, then when you're acting nuts, I have told, oh my gosh, I've told my family members, do not argue with him. Do not argue. Do not understand. He wants you to argue with him because yeah. when you lose control, he walks away snickering, thinking, see, yeah. I'm the one in control. You're the one with the problem. And there's where the abuse comes. They drive you crazy. You want to knock That's yourself it. in the head besides knocking that person in the head, right? Oh, it's terrible, the damage that they cause. But yes. it is. It's because of this. Now, people reading the secret that's holding you back can understand the anomaly in the brain that's going on that is causing that. And then for the person that's being abused, constant, they constantly have those scars in them that they go through their lives. So if they, Lord knows if anybody says something or does something, that pushes one of those buttons, it makes this person now feel terrible again. And they're constantly reliving their abuse because of that. Mm -hmm. That's why I wrote my book. Wow. Well, that's perfect for us because a lot of my listeners are, um, you know, have been abused this way and um, are trying to understand how to heal it. And, um, it is complicated. I mean, it's, that's the work that I do is I help people, you know, heal that kind of abuse. But uh, it's so fascinating to hear you explain it this way. I mean, it's absolutely everything you're saying is spot on. Thank you. And I appreciate it coming from an expert like yourself and somebody who has that type of experience. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I've been doing this work for almost 40 years, but it's through my experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so I base the book on my experience with people. But then when I hear everybody applying it and other uh, experts talking about its power and, 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 yes, it's true, it works, that, then that really makes me realize that, yes, we've touched on something here. And whichever avenue we can come to, in helping heal people, Randy, man, that is, that is great. So I'm glad that my, my work is part of that healing tool, you know, for people. And, and you can heal. I do put in it that, you know, that I explain, of course, the process because I need people to see what's actually going on. You know, you, you can't always heal a problem unless you see what the problem is and where it's coming from, right? You don't right. go to a doctor exactly. and say, um, I'm, I'm experiencing a big, a terrible pain. And the doctor says, okay, where? And you go, well, I don't know where. What do you mean then? How do you know your experience? Well, I got pain. Well, where? What part of your body? Is it the whole body? Is it your leg? Is it your arm? Well, I don't know where it is. You can't. You got to tell them, well, it's in my leg. It's in my hip. It's in my hand. It's in my arm. You got to know where it's coming from in order for them to treat it and do work on it. So it is, and I bet you, based on my book, I bet you you've already been applying so many of my own processes and, and, and theories on how to resolve this without even knowing that that's what you were doing, but, but what yes. was, what's you're, so important yeah, yes, is you're, right. you're disempowering the person's block by, first mm-hmm. of all, helping them recognize. Well, that's how, my, how I explain it. Is you dis, first, you have to acknowledge that you're mm-hmm. blocking your true beliefs. That's, that's it. You know, you may be walking around and you're talking with your friends and you're complaining about why you keep, you know, having crappy boyfriends or crappy girlfriends, whatever the case may be, and, um, and you don't know why, right, because the truth down inside is blocked and, and your friends and you are talking and you're going, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you've done so much work. You're so good. You're a professional, and you take care of yourself, and you're such a nice person. Yeah, I know. I know, right? So what's the problem? What? There's no, there's horrible relationships in the world, horrible people out there, terrible guys. There's no good guys. There's no good women, right? And that's the complaint, and they sit and they talk without realizing that that's actually their block. And the first thing that everybody has to be able to do is acknowledge, you know what? If I don't have the most common thing on the planet today is love and relationships. We are, we are social magnets. 
and we attract to us relationships purposely because we want to be involved in them. We love them. And love, we come here as love, to experience love, to share love. So love is, is one of the most primary commodities here today, yet it's the most deprived one. So you have to be able to first say, whatever you don't have in your life or what you do have that you don't want, you have to say, all right, something within me has attracted this, okay, has stopped me from attracting the right person. What is the belief I am holding that is keeping me from attracting the right kind of love. Yeah, we're talking about taking responsibility, and I know it's really hard for people to do that because they, the word blame. People have a hard time. It's really interesting. It's easier to blame something externally on the outside of you, blame the government, blame people, other people, blame whoever, Right. But then as soon as you need to take responsibility, because that's what we have to do is take responsibility for our own manifesting, that's the hardest thing to do because then we don't like blaming ourselves. Well, Well, you know, what's interesting interesting is that um, I tell, I I always um, recommend that people not go on to uh, forums and support groups and things like that for this kind of abuse because that's exactly what keeps happening. They keep blaming and blaming and blaming and blaming and it never gets anywhere. But by the time people come to me, they've already burnt out so many relationships. They've already been through so many problems and they just can't take it anymore. And they're da- they're basically down to right. their basic need of I got to heal and I must be doing something wrong, but it takes a while before that happens. It takes a lot of two by fours upside the head before people finally go, Oh, it's me. (laughs) I know, you know, that's what I do. It's so funny that you say it and you put it that way. Absolutely. I think when I do my readings, I spend most of my time bursting people's bubbles. (laughs) <laughs> that's what I that's what I call it, bursting people's bubbles, um, because they create again in the adult made mind, they create these pretty pictures, pretty pic- even of the past. Now you got to understand something. I live in North Carolina. All right, North Carolina, and people have to also understand culture and history and where they're from has also a lot to do. Those wonderful things that we call coping skills as psychotherapists, actually, yes, they can get you through life to survive, but they can also work against you. Yes. For example, here in North Carolina, during the antebellum South, during the Civil War, it was vital for survival to appear strong, not only the men, but the women. And, and look, think about the, the South. Think about during the Civil War or just before the Civil War period. Look at the way the women dressed with the corsets, and and they were beautiful, but their busts were brought up to the top, and you saw all their cleavage, and their waist was skinnier than anything. And then they had the big giant bustles on that, that went out and hoop skirts galore, right? That's because men appreciated that appearance and look, and they always had to, the Scarlett O'Hara stereotype was very true for the South. Always look beautiful, always look strong, but then look strong when the Civil War started because if Northern troops came in, you didn't want these men taking abuse of passive women. So the men taught them and the women taught each other how to be strong. And that's, again, the Scarlett O'Hara story. She was a very strong woman and she wasn't abused, right? So image was very important to them. Now, here I get phone calls from Southerners, you know, why don't I have love in my life? Why am I divorced three times? Why is, you know, um, am I suffering so much? And I have to go in, and I know exactly, I see right away, I see all this abuse and hurt of their childhoods, and they're sitting there going, oh, no, I had a really happy childhood. (laughs) What do you mean you had a happy childhood? (laughs) Your father was never around. He said, oh, yeah, but... um, um, that's okay. It was still really good. I knew he loved me. I said, well, how did you know he loved you if he wasn't there to tell you that? 
And then, and then your mother was very critical of you. You were a pageant girl, and you had to do everything absolutely perfect. Oh, yeah, but I knew she loved me. Yeah, she criticized everything. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Then that was that. And you think you'd be happy with that? And actually, I have to get them to the point of going, oh, you know, you're right. I wouldn't want that for my kid. Why? If, you're, if your childhood was so happy, why wouldn't you want to replicate that for your own children then? You understand then that you're holding inside of you all of these negative self-beliefs and part of your defense mechanism, the adult-made mind, created this pretty picture for you to believe in because it hurt too much to think your parents didn't love you. And obviously, we do the best we can with everything, but but we got to understand that there's so much hurt that has been passed down from generation to generation. Just because you get pregnant, it doesn't make all your issues go away overnight. You know, you got to do the work. And people have to understand it. So you're right. They finally get to the point of, you're right. And, but here's, here's the ironic thing. And tell me, tell me if you've experienced this too. The, the hardest job that we have as psychotherapists or had as psychotherapists is getting clients to come to us. And even in our training, they would tell us, you know, and even if you do get clients coming to you, just be aware that it usually takes three months and then all of a sudden you may hear some of your clients wanting to end the sessions because they feel either they're not getting anything out of it or they're done. Yep. Don't take that as truth. It's because you're now getting to the hardest part and the most painful part, and they're afraid to go there. So people are actually afraid of working on healing themselves because they're afraid to find out that their deepest fears about themselves are actually true, that they really aren't good enough, that they really aren't lovable. So remember, that's that's the other reason why I separated the mind, because I wanted people to see when you're doing your healing work, all right, the first part is to recognize the adult-made mind defenses. As soon as you face something that is powerful, you can actually disempower it, right, by acknowledging it. That's all you have to do. It's like like some people in their dreams, they're always – dreaming that somebody is chasing them, a monster is in their dreams, or they're, they're, getting, they're becoming drowned by a tsunami or a wave, if they just stop in their dream, and they can actually learn how to do this, stop in your dream, turn around, face the monster, face the, the perpetrator who's coming after you, and you disempower it. It goes away, and it no longer becomes a threat to you. Well, it's the same thing with your defense mechanisms. Acknowledge you have the defense mechanisms, and boom, they're no longer a threat. Now you're left with the most important layer. And understand that if you just face it, when I tell people, finally, when they come to a point of saying, you're right, I don't believe in myself, I say, say that again. Now say it the right way. I'm not lovable, because that's what you believe. Say that out loud. And they say, I'm not lovable. And I say, how does that sound? Is that reasonable? And they say, that's ridiculous. Of course I'm lovable. Of course I'm lovable. I said, yeah, but you didn't know that you were holding on to that until, you just, until we just did the work. And now you're recognizing that that's ridiculous, that truth. That's not a truth. So what would you tell any child who said that to you? Of course you're lovable but you've never had the opportunity to tell your own inner child that. So now when they face those maladaptive beliefs, they realize they're not so bad. And of course they're not true. You're not deserving. Why wouldn't you be deserving? Well, of course I'd be deserving. That's stupid. I know, but Mm -hmm. you've been holding on to that. That's the reason why you have financial difficulties. Oh, and you deserve to be punished because you're not a good person. Do you really? Do you really think that? There's an actual religion of monks that walk around all day long and they whip themselves barebacked. They have scars all over their backs because all day long they beat themselves for blaming themselves for causing so much pain for Jesus being crucified. Is that what you want to do? Should I get you? I'll order you a whip if that's what you want to do. If you believe you deserve to be punished, 
no, that's stupid. I don't deserve to be punished. I said, but you've been doing that. That's right. Everybody so does they, that to their minds. Everybody, yes. when they come to me, they, do, they, <clears throat> they beat their minds. And they don't know constantly. that they're doing it, right? You, mm-hmm. You've got right. that. You've mm-hmm. got your women. You've got your men, whoever. A lot mm-hmm. of, unfortunately, it's a lot of women that wind up going through that kind of abuse with narcissists. Um, uh, but when, I mean, obviously, men can do it too. But they, they blame themselves. It's me. I make a mad. Um, you know, all the excuses they come up with, right? Because they just don't want to face that. And when they do, they go, wait a minute. The aha moment comes along. I, I don't deserve to be treated that way. That's right? exactly and then right. that's when the real healing comes. That's right. That's what my book is all about. That's why I wrote it. So, and and it's, it's, you're right about where the complicated, I want to add to that word, complicated. It's an easy process to do. It's a difficult, a difficult slash complicated practice because you have to do it. You have to be aware and you have to be on top of it over and over and over again. You're I'll right. share with you. I, through the time I was 17 years old, from the first day in school on up, I was the one that was continuously bullied. Um, I was chased every day running home to school from school. When I was caught, I was beat up. In school, I was shoved in lockers, had flushed in toilets. I was spit on, peed on, stripped, thrown in assemblies, thrown in dumpsters in the back of the school. And then life wasn't any safer for me at home because mom herself was sexually molested by her own brother and cousin until she was 13 years old. So she had borderline personality disorder, major depressive disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, panic disorder, and she took all of those out on my brother and I. And so I would get beatings at home. My father was very passive, but the enforcer, he would mm-hmm. come home from work, and mom would say, go beat Vinny. Yep. He would come upstairs. He wouldn't say hello. He would just beat me with the belt until I was crying, and then go downstairs and ask my mother, what did he do? So he, it didn't even matter to him. No, on it didn't matter that, because he needed his survival dependent on, on aligning with her, because her, if he went up against her, right. he, had no, exactly. he, he, he couldn't exist, right? And he was a very passive person. Um, he left school at sixth grade so that he can help support his family. So he wasn't that intelligent either. He could survive and he was able to hold a job, but um, he was a blue collar. He was a blue collar worker, laborer. Um, but I was also sexually molested by my babysitter until I was 13 years old and by the parish priest. And so I've taken care of my issues, see? Okay. And most people, they will, if wherever they are, if they're listening to your show right now, they have to understand they've taken care of a lot. They've come a long way. They're functioning. They are functioning. But everybody needs to understand that every, every pain and hurt causes a scar. So even if you've worked on the issues, the scars will be there. That's another part of my book. The scars will every so often come to the surface. Another word for the scars is your buttons. Those buttons that get pushed if somebody's inflaming one of those scars, the I'm not good enough scar, right? You could be at a supermarket and you're online. And the cashier is having a very casual conversation with the person in front of you, and you're sitting there looking at your watch going, what am I, chopped liver over here? Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to come up and pay for this. And you're getting upset, and you're thinking, oh, she doesn't even care about me. And you're forming all of these beliefs, and, and your adult-made mind is taking over without realizing that what actually the button that was pushed was the I'm not good enough button to be cared for. Why on earth would the cashier be purposely ignoring you? No. I have two words. Friendly. I have two words, Vincent. Will Smith. Go ahead. Will oh, good Smith. Lord. Okay. That's wow. That's exactly what happened. Will Smith. It, he just got, yeah. a button got pushed and he, he oh, his amygdala hijacked him and that was that. 
<laughs> well, have you read his story? My wife, before we saw the Oscars, we've been listening to his audio book. Will, it's absolutely incredible. He's a, an incredible author. And what a life he went through. And it was miserable. And his father was that way. His father was very abusive. Um, and Will picked up a bad temper. But what people don't understand is they didn't see all the video. Before he got up there on the stage, he was laughing at what Chris had said. And when he looked over at Jade, Jada, she was pissed that Will was laughing at what Chris said. So now Jada pushed his button. Jada pushed the button up because Will lost his greatest love in his early life because she cheated on him and they were supposed to get married. And he went ballistic on that. And so the moment Jada, and Will said it in his speech while he was crying, Love, love is so strong that you protect love. No, what he was saying is you protect the loss of love. That's what he was responding to because he lost, he experienced lost love so many times that the response from Jada made him feel, oh my God, she's mad at me. And the the automatic thoughts that go through your subconscious mind, like I was talking about, I can imagine what went through. Oh my God, she's going to be pissed at me. She's going to leave me. She's going to want a divorce. And his immediately response to that was get up on stage and and retaliate. That's right. But that button was absolutely pushed. Yeah. And it happened so quickly, you know, it happened so quickly that, um, it's not even something that we process. I mean, I have clients say to me, they'll get to a really good place and then they'll be in a situation where they'll be up against their ex. Something will happen and they'll be, all of a sudden, they'll lose it and they'll be in, that, in their ex's face, even though they, they've been so good for years. And, the, and then they say to me, oh my God, Randy, I'm, I'm so worried because I came so far and now look what I did. But it's, it gets to the point where it, yeah. it's, a, it's an amygdala hijack where you can't, your, your brain tells you what to do before you even process it. And it that's right. That's right. You respond triggers. so quickly, which it also explains all the other stuff that goes on to um, how people break, you know, what makes a person actually take a gun and go into a school and start Mm -hmm. shooting up children and people. And everybody thinks that because it's premeditated, it seems like it was planned, it's premeditated, that there's an actual clear thought process to what's going on. It's not. It's responding all the way through. That's the same as suicide. It's a constant automatic response. And you almost can't pull it back. Right. Sometimes you can see it happen like with Will. So instantaneously, others, it may take over a week that it's happening, but it doesn't matter. Time doesn't matter when it comes to the brain. When it goes to that knee jerk reaction, that's it. You're no longer thinking rationally. There's no longer those. Every one of us. Think about this. Think of how many times I want everybody out there. And and maybe this has happened to you, too. I want everybody out there thinking of. All the times in your life to, to, today that you would have loved to gone up to somebody and just smack them in the head because of something stupid they said or did, right? <laughs> how many times you might have thought to yourself, oh, drop dead. Uh, you know, how many times did you get so angry with somebody and so upset, but you never responded to it? You didn't go after it. There was no knee-jerk reaction. Maybe sometimes there was, but you even control that because we have a governor system connected to our brain. And if you're a healthy, functioning human, it's that governor that turns down the knee-jerk response that keeps you from, look, the abuse, I just finished telling you all the abuse I had. There must have been something inside of me that stopped me from wanting to be punitive. I could have been mm-hmm. one of the Menendez brothers and, and, and killed my parents with my brother. We didn't do that. You're he was right. a very violent guy. He would have gone along with me. I could have found the gun and gone into my own school and shot up everybody, including some of the teachers, because they allowed the abuse, right? And so, yeah. But I didn't because there was something, thank God, there was something, there was a valve, there was that governor inside of me that 
stop that from happening. These people can go through so much torment that they lose that. They lose yeah. that control. And so, no, now I, want, I want your listeners to understand that you and I are not condoning these behaviors because we have to learn how to stop them, but we have to learn how to truly stop them. We have to help these people heal and have compassion for understanding how they can do something like that. Can you imagine here, it's very interesting because people, my, my students, I teach a lot of classes, right? And my students will always ask me, how do I know I've grown to a higher spiritual consciousness? And I'll say, well, one of the obvious ways of knowing is the result of your life, because whatever you manifest in your life will let you know what you're believing in. Deep down, your true beliefs, not your conscious beliefs, but those unconscious beliefs, right? Because that's how you manifest. But another thing, and the quick way of finding out, is when you're watching the news and you hear of a shooting, where does your first feeling of compassion go? To the victim or to the perpetrator? And, of course, 99.9% will say the victim, that's right. Well, if you think about it, the victim, prior to being shot, isn't hurting. But in order to take a gun or to hurt your brother and sister, can you imagine the amount of pain that the perpetrator must be going through? No, and I so can't. so when you can acknowledge that, mm-hmm. doesn't guide your, your response because you're still supposed to then stand up and help the victim, right? But to be able to say, oh, my God, oh, my yep. God, I'll give you an example. Now, we, one of the most hated men, I mean, there's so many of them, um, it's Hitler, right? Because he, he caused and, and wanted six billion Jews, six million Jews dead. Yep. But what people don't understand is, is Hitler was sexually molested by his mother and his father until he was 13 years old and he could stop it. He was sexually molested by both of them. Can you imagine how damaged that man was? He wasn't trying to conquer the world. He was trying to conquer his own pains, but he projected it out onto the world to get power, to be able to control it. And then even when he had the power, his greatest fear was that anybody and everybody was going to try to kill him. He couldn't even trust his right-hand man. He lived in, um, in, in, a, in a bunker beneath the surface of the earth, protecting himself, you know, for the most part. And so there was such emotional damage in that guy. Osama bin Laden was sibling 51. 51. He had 50 brothers and sisters. Do you even think he ever experienced the concept of love that parents are supposed to teach their children? No. None at all. And, and his greatest lashing out was at, the, at us who always bragged about how wonderful we are and how close we are and that we treat each other equally and that we're great brothers and sisters and we care about you. And he hated us. He, he, it's the Cain and Abel story. It's yeah, the Cain exactly. and Abel story. So, Vincent, I have so to tell you, you we're coming. That. My I goodness, have, yeah. I have, I have to um, tell you, we're coming down to the end of the show, um, yes, and I want to yes, have you oh back. I want to have you back because we have so much more to cover. So, um, I'm going to yeah. contact you or your, um, uh, Ashley from Steve Allen. I'm yes, going to contact her and and ask her to rebook another time because we have so much more to talk about. But I have one question um, that. I have with, I run into, and I want to know, I mean, I know generally what you're saying. Um, There are people that I run into, that I work with, that feel so in the need to control every aspect of their environment that they completely block everything from happening to them. And it's very difficult to convey that what you're saying to someone who is so tightly controlling every single thing and saying, but I can't move this way. I can't do this way. This isn't going to work. That isn't going to work. They're so boxed in. What do you tell people that are, that are like that? How do you work with people that are like that? Okay. 
Well, you drop the seed, okay, and you just keep dropping the seeds of, of truth, of wisdom, of belief in them. You just feed them, and it's okay. You don't try to change them because in their time, hopefully in this lifetime that they're in, they will eventually get it. Somehow, some way, they will get it. Um, mm-hmm. In our own personal experience, my wife and I have, have a daughter. Um, she was very emotional her entire childhood. And when she became a young adult, she just kept gaining weight, gaining weight, gaining weight, and being very emotional, went through emotional experiences with friends, a lot of losses. And we kept, no matter what we would try to guide into her, no matter what a, a counselor would try to guide into her, we got her to counseling right away. She would always say, I can't. It doesn't work. That doesn't work that way. It's not working. Um, yeah, the world is dipped. So she had that exact attitude that you said until right. one day, and, and she reached almost 400 pounds, and then she got, and she got married. She found a man to love her, but still very controlling, very controlling. He couldn't argue with her. He couldn't do anything. And then one day she, she was thinking, I want to have a child, but I can't have a child like this. And my wife and I kept feeding the positive. It's okay, honey. You know, and she, you don't understand. It doesn't matter if she would say that and respond that way. We just kept feeding her the positive. We believe in you. We know you can do well. And, and sometimes you have to make this choice. Sometimes you have to make this choice. Whatever. We just kept feeding that. I, and, and my wife would become much more frustrated than I would. She's not listening. I said, she, it doesn't matter. If she's, she's not responding. That doesn't mean she's mm-hmm. not listening. Just remember okay. that because... When you're feeding the information to them, in their mind, they think they're out of control. They have to come to that information. But what you're not realizing is you're reaching their unconscious and subconscious minds. And you have to keep trusting that because then when my daughter turned around and said she wanted a baby, but she can't have it obese because it will be harmful to the child, it could be harmful to her, she won't be able to care the same way. Well, she went through an unbelievable process. She checked herself into an outpatient um, eating disorder clinic for a year. She had um, gastro surgery, bypass. It wasn't just bypass. It was a major surgery. She's still seeing a counselor today to keep up her attitude. She is unbelievable. She's mentoring other people who are going through the same process. She's a beautiful woman. She helps others, and all I keep hearing, my wife and I keep hearing, we sit there, and all we keep hearing when she's talking with people are all the words we said her (laughs) in her language now and her speaking. And we look at each other, and I said to my wife, I said, I told you, she was taking it in. You didn't think she was. Now she's using it, and she's relying on it. So those people, their adult-made minds have created that defense mechanism but just because there's blockages doesn't mean that their souls and unconscious mind aren't hearing you. Keep feeding the positive. That's all you can do and hope for the best that the soul makes its way through eventually. And then give oh, them my book and give them my book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so true. I mean, I had, I had uh, an experience with my son who just kept telling me he got, he was abused. Uh, he was um, bullied very much. And, um, you know, he had this belief that he was dumb and he just didn't apply himself in school. And every day I told him how smart he was. And he'd say, no, I'm not. I'm like, yeah, you are, because look what you did. Look what you did. And he eventually rose to that. Now he's a doctor. So, I mean, there you go, hon. I mean, it, exactly. it works. It absolutely works. And, and, and as you're saying this, I'm thinking about my clients. Yeah, I plant the seed and a couple of days later, I get some kind of response where they've loosened those boundaries up. Those, those blockages, not boundaries, but blockages up. So you're right. It does get in. Um, so we have to stop. I'm so sorry because I could go oh hours my with goodness. <laughs> but, um, That's but okay. I'm, we could go on forever. I know, really, right? Right, forever and ever and ever. Your stories, my stories, it's just unbelievable. But I'm going to um, I'm gonna contact Ashley and, uh, and ask her to rebook you so we can bring you back because you have so much more. I know there's so much more to share with us. 
So um, thank you, Vincent. It's it's really been fun. Oh, thank you for having me. It really is. I, and I, I can come back and talk with you forever, Randy. And, and, I, <laughs> and I apologize for taking up all the time talking. You didn't even have a chance to ask, you know, what you always wanted to or, you know, may have wanted to because I talk so much on this. I'm so passionate about this subject, but I bet you, you find yourself, you can do the same thing sometimes too, can't you? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But I'm happy because everything that you said was so powerful that I really wanted to hear it and I wanted everybody else to hear it. But um, there's just so much more, you know, what I really want to talk about next time is how to help people release those blockages, how to. All right. We'll get, we'll get into it. And that's what we're going to talk about next time. Okay. All right. Okay. I love it. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. All right, Randy, you take care, too. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. You, too. Bye-bye. Oh, so we are out of time today, unfortunately. But if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlifeatrandyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com. And be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.